This message first aired on the radio on October 13, 2003. We're reading through the scriptures. We're doing an overview of the scriptures, the dispensations of God, and we're looking at the dispensation of the law. And we're seeing the decline of Israel. And as we read through, and we're reading, for example, in the, toward the end of the book of the First Kings, and we're seeing Israel on its way into captivity. And with that in mind, one can't help but see the end to which Christians are rushing today, the way we Christians are rushing, and the way we as a nation are rushing toward bondage and captivity, something never known, for example, in America, and we're just rushing toward it, and also how it is that Christians are rushing away from the faith once delivered, with the faith according to which we ought to strive that we might be pleasing to the Lord and rewarded in the coming age is being set aside and traded for, what should we say, a bowl of chili. So we have that sorry thing. And as we look today in First Kings, and this is actually a very distinct portion of Scripture that in my own mind is quite powerful, quite powerful to my own mind, speaks to me very easily. We're in First Kings looking at this prophet Ahab, and we're seeing the most wicked king of all of Israel inaugurate a decline, an accelerated decline that his heritage will carry out, and the result of this is going to be Israel in bondage, never really to escape bondage until the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we'll look here at First Kings, and if you're following the study, whether you're listening on the Internet to the archive broadcast, maybe occasionally you just decide to listen to two or three messages. That's uh, sometimes a very good way to listen to uh, messages that are connected as these are, or whether you're listening day to day. Let me remind you that where we came to last time is Ahab has been promised uh, that his kingdom will be terminated and his family will be cut off from Israel. He was told by the Lord that he would bring evil upon Ahab and will take away from his posterity, will cut off from Ahab every male in his house, and that his house will be like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah. Now Jeroboam and Baasha, both their houses were cut off, and in their place came military commanders, Zimri and Omri, whose descendant is Ahab. So he now is one who replaced kings who were eliminated due to their unbelief and misbehavior. And their entire heritage was cut out. And now it's promised to him that the same will happen to him. And then even further, a specific judgment is promised to his wife, Jezebel, and of Jezebel also spake the Lord, saying, verse 23, 1 Kings 21, the dogs will eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Well, that's kind of a hideous thing, and, well, it's even more hideous when you see it happen. And this is because of the wickedness in the sight of the Lord that Ahab did and who Jezebel stirred up. And so now Ahab heard this, and he rent his clothes, and he put sackcloth upon his flesh, and fasted, and lay in sackcloth, and he went humbly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, who said, See how Ahab humbles himself before me, 
Because of this, I will not bring the evil that I have prophesied in his days, but in his son's days I'll bring it upon his house. And that's going to happen. Uh, But now Ahab goes along, and he's still Ahab. And he's now being called the king of Samaria. He is the king of Israel, but he's established himself in Samaria. And the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, comes down to him and partners up with him. And Ahab has a plan that they should go battle Ramoth-Gilead together. And Jehoshaphat says, sure, I'll partner up with you. I'm like you are. My people are are like your people. My horses is your horses. I'll fight with you. He's quick to do that. This is Jehoshaphat's custom. Of course, this is now a battle against the enemies of Israel, the nation Israel. And so they're going to unite forces. They're going to stop hostilities with each other and unite forces to take Ramoth-Gilead back from their enemies. Of course, this is a place where the forebear of Jehoshaphat actually hired the enemies of Israel. Asa actually hired Ben-Hadad to attack Israel. So this is a bit of a rapprochement between Judah and Israel. But Jehoshaphat ought to know better than to team up with the wicked Ahab. But he suggests to King Ahab, and this is where we left it Friday, he suggests, inquire, I pray thee, at the word of the Lord today. This is the difference between Jehoshaphat and Ahab. Unfortunately, today we have more people like Ahab, I think, than we do Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat's the kind of guy who wants to hear from the man of God, what does the word of God say? Ahab is the kind of guy who likes to arrange the message he wants to hear. He's a guy who wants to arrange the message that he wants to hear, and of course his wife is quick to show him how to get that done. She's an expedient woman. She's an ambitious woman. We even use her name to typify the kind of woman she is. When we call somebody that Jezebel, we think of all the conniving, underhanded, nasty, manipulative, awful things that a woman can get herself into. Her name carries that entire connotation because that's who she is. And you might remember that she organized 850 prophets. She had two particular religions, one where Ahab built an image to Baal, and all the prophets of Baal were slain by the children of Israel at the command of Elijah the prophet after the Lord answered him with fire at Mount Carmel. You remember that? But the 400 prophets of the Asherah, which uh, Jezebel also had, they remained in the court of Ahab. They ate at Jezebel's table. And these guys are still around. And so when Jehoshaphat says, let's inquire at the word of the Lord today, then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men. So now he gathers together these 400 fellows. And they're available. Well, We can talk about a few different people. We can talk about Jehoshaphat. He wants to hear the word of the Lord. We can talk about Ahab. He wants to hear what he wants to hear. We can also talk about these false prophets. Talk about these 400 prophets of the Asherah. When wicked men rise in power, there is no lack of false prophets. 
there are no lack of fellas that will tell him what he wants to hear. There's 400 of them here. And he says to these 400 guys, Ahab says to these 400 guys, should I go against Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall I forbear? And they said, all of them, go up, the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. That's every, all 400 of them are in agreement. You go ahead, you go up. And Jehoshaphat says, now this tells you something. Here's Jehoshaphat. He says, is there not here a prophet of the Lord besides these guys? That we might inquire of him? So he knows, even though all 400 of these guys, and I'm sure they're dressed real well, I would suppose that they have robes on. I suppose they have sashes. I suppose they have stiff white collars. Maybe some of them have fancy headdresses on their head. I'm sure they all have well-manicured nails and great hairdos. I'm sure of that. Good-looking suits. And they all come together, and they all agree, but not one of them is a prophet of God. Not one of them. They're all false prophets. You look around today, and if you find yourself in the majority of religious leaders, if you're in the majority of the clergy, you must be on the wrong side of everything. You must be. It's impossible not to be. Josephat says, isn't there a single prophet of God? Isn't there a single prophet of Jehovah here? So this is a question. After he hears the unanimity of these 400 fellows. And let me tell you, the Jews knew this about these kind of fellows, about their religious leaders. They knew this about their religious leaders, or they came to know it about the religious leaders. And they knew it so well, for example, that an unusual provision in their codified legal system, of which is the the law that of Moses and the Talmud that they wrote around it, one of the, and this is a later development, but one of the codified facts of law was that when the entire leadership of the Sanhedrin was in agreement about someone's guilt, that man needed to be let free. Because the only way that that would happen is they must be wrong. And so now we have verse 8, and this is a very instructive portion. The king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man, Micaiah the son of Imlah, by whom we, we may acquire of the Lord, but I hate him, for he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let the king not say so. Well, we're going to find out about this guy Micaiah, and we're going to find a little bit more about false prophets and about men of God in a minute after this brief announcement. Well, we have this fellow Ahab and this fellow Jehoshaphat, and don't kid yourself, people. Uh, you know, a lot of times we kid ourselves and we think that people are as naive as they may appear to be. Jehoshaphat entertained these 400 I mean, he was probably polite listening to them. Not that he should be. I don't commend politeness in the face of false prophets, but uh, he probably was. After all, he's in the court of Ahab, and he listened to these guys, and then he said, let's have a real prophet of Jehovah, see what he says. Don't you have one? And here's the other thing that we should realize. 
Immediately Ahab, the king of Israel, though he called his 400 false prophets, knew exactly who was the fellow that told the truth. He knew exactly who that was, named him by name, said it's Micaiah, the son of Imla. That's who it is. Oh, yeah, I know the kind of guy. I know the guy you're talking about. I know who the guy is you're talking about. This is this guy, Micaiah, the son of Imla. He's the one you're talking about. But I don't like to talk to him because he does not tell me what I want to hear. He's always prophesying bad things about me. Well, gee, I wonder why. I mean, why do you suppose a prophet of God doesn't have much good to say to Ahab, whose house is to be cut off from the children of Israel? And Jehoshaphat say, well, don't say so. Don't speak so evilly of the man of God. Then the king of Israel called an officer, verse 9, we're in 1 Kings 22, verse 9, called an officer and hasten hither Micaiah, the son of Imla. The king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, sat each on his throne. They got parallel thrones there. Having put on their robes in a void place at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. So here they are. This is the, sets the scene. They're on some level spot sitting right next to each other in their robes in the entrance of the gate of Samaria, which is the court of Ahab. And all the prophets prophesied before them. So you see, they came in numbers. I'm sure they did little dances, had little dr- But the drama gets even better here. And here you see, for example, Zedekiah, the son of Chanana. And Zedekiah, the son of Chanana, made him horns of iron. He's got props. He made himself a pair of horns of iron. I've heard of uh, preachers that use props that have, uh, you know, maybe have all week, spend all week getting their stage ready for their 20-minute sermon on Sunday morning. In fact, I know specifically of a fellow that used to be around here where I am. I'm in Omaha, Nebraska, and a fellow that was a senior pastor, whatever a senior pastor is. I don't find that in the Bible, but a senior pastor of a large Baptist church must have spent all week having several doors framed up and stuck on stage for the effect of his message. I I guess uh, we'll go to any length to what? Entertain or to try to put truth behind our words when it's not there. And here this fellow, in order to be persuasive in his false message, he gets a pair of iron horns. And he puts a little drama to it now. And he said, Thus saith the Lord, With thee shalt thou push the Syrians until thou hast consumed them. And you can just see this guy running around, holding these horns on his head, giving a dramatic presentation to Ahab, trying to persuade him, really entertain him, titillate him, tell him what he wants to hear. And all the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it into the king's hand. So we have now here how it was done. It wasn't just that they gave false prophecy, but they did it with drama, and they must have done it with wild cheering. And I'm sure that for all their speaking and for all their sweat and effort, they regarded that they would be more believable. But that's not how the grace of God operates, my friends, and that's not how the Word of God comes. 
Uh, you remember that the word of God came to Elijah. It wasn't in all the breaking of the rocks. It wasn't in the wind. It wasn't in the earthquake. But then all of a sudden it was still, and the word of the Lord came to Elijah. And he knew it. Elijah knew it. And the word of the Lord never comes to guys like Zedekiah, the son of Chenana. Never does. It never comes to them. The word of God doesn't come to them. The word of the Lord doesn't come to them. They read the Bible. They twist it. They don't understand it. They go to Bible schools. They go to seminary. They get letters after their name. They never understand it. They're unstable as water. And it's the vast majority, my friends. You know, I have a problem. I was speaking to a brother the other day, and I said one of the most difficult things I have to do is come across Christians. For example, they'll hear the radio show, or I'll talk to them in some other way, and I'll talk out of the Scripture to them soon enough, or I'll try to, or we'll, we'll have some kind of Bible conversation. And they begin now to tell me about their pastor, and he says thus and such. And it'll be wrong, almost always. And one of the hardest things to tell people is that your pastor does not know the Bible. Do I think nobody but me knows? No, I don't think that. But the Word of God is scarce today. Why is it scarce today? Because Christians love the world today. That's why we do something like a radio show to get the Word of God out. And I don't know the Bible like I should know it. People say to me, oh, you know the Bible so well. Are you kidding? That's just you being ignorant of the Bible. You think I know the Bible real well. That just shows how ignorant you are. That doesn't add anything to me. Besides that, as ignorant as most people are of the Scripture, what good is it if they think you know the Bible well? That's like some guy that runs 15-second, 100-meter dash telling the guy that runs a 12-second, 100-meter dash he's really fast. The guy running the 12-second, 100-meter dash knows he's not really fast, but compared to the other guy, sure. But it's not good to compare yourself to others. When the Bible is as scarce as it is today, we get this kind of thing to this scripture here out of 1 Kings 22 is so much today that I have to break out of my dispensational teaching here to say, this is like New Testament theology here. After all, they're commending the king of Israel to go get himself involved in a war that he should never be involved in. And he's going to die in that battle. And all the prophets prophesied so. It wasn't just the Zedekiah, the son of Chenana. They all said that. And the messenger that was going to call Micaiah speak, speaks to him. Now, this is, this is another interesting thing. Verse 13, the messenger is uh, sent. Remember now, Ahab sent to go get Micaiah. So the messenger comes, and he goes to Micaiah, and he says, Behold, all the words of the prophets. Look, don't come in here and ruin things. Don't get the king upset. All the prophets, all the words of the prophets are declaring good to the king. They're unanimous with one mouth. Let thy word, I pray thee, be like the word of one of them. And speak that which is good. Quit being such a negative guy, Micaiah. Speak a good word to the king for a change. Tell him what these other guys are here. Be unanimous. Be one of the boys. Come on, one time, be one of the guys. And Micaiah says, as the Lord lives what the Lord saith unto me, that's what I'll speak. Whatever the Lord says, that's what I'll say. Now that's a man of God. So he came to the king, and the king said unto him, Micaiah, shall we go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall we forbear? And Micaiah answers Ahab and says, go and prosper, 
for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. He says exactly what those false prophets say. He's going prosper. Go whoop up on them. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go attack the Syrians and win. And the king says unto him, How many times shall I adjure thee that thou tell me nothing but that which is true in the name of the Lord? Now here, the king calls upon God in heaven, really. He says, I must adjure you that you tell me exactly what the Lord truly says. He knows that his false prophets are false. One of the most pathetic things that I have seen in my life is to see leaders who have surrounded themselves with so-called experts who cannot believe them, who know that they're being lied to all the time. And do you know that's the general condition of a leader today? And I don't care what kind of leader you are. You're a leader in business inside your own company. Chances are real good. The people right around you are lying to you all the time. If you're a political leader, the chances are very good. The people around you are lying to you all the time. And when you're experienced, you know that. When you're a church leader, same thing. You find out that the people around you are likely, at least at times, to not be telling you the truth. And so here now, of course, Micaiah comes up and gives a sarcastic answer. But now when he's adjured to truly give what the Lord says to him, and he either said it in a way that the king knew that he was being sarcastic, or he knew that the king knew that what he was being told by false prophets was what? False. Duh. Why do you think they're called false prophets? And now Micaiah says, I saw all Israel scattered upon the hills as sheep that have not a shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let them return every man to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, Didn't I tell you that he would prophesy no good concerning me but just evil? Didn't I tell you? Remember I told you this? Yeah, okay, so what are you, Ahab? You're a prophet because you know you're a wicked man and because you know the word of the Lord is against you? So he turns to Jehoshaphat and says, Didn't I tell you so? And he said, Now, Micaiah says, Hear now the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing by him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? And one said on this matter, and the other said on that matter, and there came forth a spirit. This is an evil spirit. This is a lying spirit came forth the spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I'll persuade him. And the Lord said unto him, Wherewith? And he said, I'll go forth. I'll be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets. And the Lord said, Thou shalt persuade him and prevail also. Go forth and do so now. Now the question is, does Ahab really believe the word of the Lord even though he asked for it? And the answer is no. The answer is no. Maybe you're a deceiver today. Maybe you think, that you can lie to people whenever you feel like, whenever it's expedient, you can lie and subterfuge and make your arrangements and deceive, like Ahab, and that you can turn that on and off at your own will so that you can hear the truth and you can say the truth when you want, but you can also hear the truth in your ears and talk lies out your mouth. But let me tell you, that's the deceitfulness of sin. When you 
tell lies, you yourself will be deceived. And here now, Ahab is so deceived. This reminds me of people who say, I'll believe in the Lord Jesus Christ when it's convenient. Or as they said to the Apostle Paul at Mars Hill, we'll hear from you some other time. It's not a convenient time right now to hear what you have to say. We'll hear from you some other time. No, they wouldn't. No, they didn't. And this is what liars think. Liars are themselves deceived, and they think that they can manipulate the truth and hear it when it's convenient for them. Then the truth comes to them, and they can't believe it. They don't have ears to hear the truth anymore. So here is the candid truth with details given by Micaiah to Ahab, saying, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and the Lord was actually asking for some spirit to lie to you, Ahab. And he got a volunteer, and the Lord said that that lying spirit would tell you a lie, and he would prevail, and that he would tell you by the mouth of your own false prophets. Now therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these thy prophets, and the Lord has spoken evil concerning thee. And now here comes this, one of these false prophets. This is the Zedekiah, the great actor, the great communicator, Zedekiah, the great actor, the guy with the horns on his head. He, Zedekiah, the son of Chenana, went near and smote Micaiah on the cheek and said, Which way went the Spirit of the Lord from me to speak unto you? And Micaiah said, Behold, you will see in that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide yourself. And so, uh, of course, Micaiah tells this fellow the truth also. He tells him, yeah, well, you can mock me all you want, and you can make fun of me all you want right here, but the truth is the truth, and when you see it, it'll terrify you. And the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah and carry him back unto Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus saith the king, Put this fellow in prison, Feed him with the bread of affliction and the water of affliction until I come in peace. Now, here's, here's what Ahab does. He doesn't like the message that the messenger gives. He doesn't believe it. It's the word of the Lord. And he says, afflict this guy. Torture this guy. Torture this prophet. Give him the bread and water of affliction until I come back. So he imprisons him. And, of course, he's not going to come back. And Micaiah said, If thou return at all in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, Hearken, O people, every one of you. So Micaiah's last statement before this is in the court of Ahab is, Pay attention to me. I have the word of God. Now, this is, by the way, the role of the prophet. The role of the prophet is, generally speaking, to give the word of God to those who, who will not believe it. So it's important to know that that oftentimes is exactly what God has a prophet to do. Now, we don't have prophets today. We don't have prophets today. The, the role of prophet is not needed today, but the role of teacher is needed today. And in place of the prophet of the Old Testament, we have teachers in the New Testament. That's why Peter wrote to us and said, as they were false prophets in Israel, there'll be false teachers among you. And we also have this scripture out of 2 Timothy chapter 4, 
where Paul writes to Timothy, and he said, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all suffering and teaching, for the time will come that they will not endure sound teaching, but after their own lusts they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they will turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Well, that's exactly what Ahab did and all the people of his court with the 400 false prophets parading around and prancing in their fine clothes and their hairdos. And this is exactly what the Scripture says will happen in, in times that will come. They will heap after themselves teachers wanting their ears to be tickled. And we'll look more at this when we come back after this brief break. One of the things I like to talk about is the role of the preacher to the hearer. This is right here for us to read in the Scripture, and it's as important for the preacher to know how to preach as it is for the hearer to know how the preacher is supposed to preach. Let me just turn that around. It is as important for you to know how a preacher is supposed to preach as it is for him to know how. After all, how will you know in a day when men are, their ears are constantly itching, where men constantly are heaping to themselves teachers. How is it that you will know a man of God if you ever hear one? The way that you'll know is because you'll pay attention to the Bible, and you'll say, well, a man of God should preach the way that the Bible instructs him to preach. And how does the Bible instruct a preacher to preach? Well, in one way, it, it instructs him. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, and it's a stern charge. I charge thee, he tells Timothy, before the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a dramatic statement. Now, everything is always open before the Lord Jesus Christ, but he's now, the Apostle Paul is now crystallizing this view in the mind of Timothy so that we'll pay attention to it when we read the letter that he wrote to him. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. In other words, preach the word at all times. Stick to it. Brother, maybe you think you're a preacher, but you're not preaching. You've given it up for a while. If you can give up preaching, you ought to. If you don't need to preach, stop it. See, the Scripture says that the preacher is to be instant, in season, out of season. He's to be able and effective at preaching all the time. And it says, preach. It says, preach. The scripture here talks about preaching, and it also talks about reproving, reproving, which, by the way, is a, is a legal term, reproving. The best word, I think, for this is prosecute. Prosecute, not persecute, prosecute, to reprove. This is the word elencho which is to bring to conviction. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit also brings to conviction, but we're to prosecute with the Scripture. That is to say, we are to corner and bring a proper conclusion about a matter by cutting off all falsity and crystallizing and bringing crystal clear what is the truth. Rebuke. No one likes to be rebuked. It's an uncomfortable thing to do it. 
This is the same word as to sternly charge. This is not the word blaspheme, speak evil of. This is to sternly charge or to be abrupt and stern with, to be very serious with. Rebuke. So first you bring to conviction, then you rebuke, and of course you rebuke wrong behavior. You don't rebuke right behavior. You rebuke wrong behavior. And the scripture doesn't seem to worry the preacher about right behavior. You don't really have to worry yourself about right behavior. And then it says exhort. Well, that, that is the word to comfort or encourage or to stir up. All three of those things. But comfort, the comfort of the scriptures, is the encouragement to continue on in the faith and to maintain hope. Comfort of the scriptures does not soul take thine ease, for thou hast much good stored up. The comfort of the scriptures is to encourage one another to continue on in the faith because we have a better hope. And uh, that is now uh, exhortation. With all long suffering and teaching. You can't do this without teaching. So many try to encourage without teaching and giving instruction in the Word of God. And so people are emotionally moved, but they don't have substance of the teaching of the Scriptures to hold on to, to bring them into a more solid walk of faith. But the preacher will bring teaching into all of these things. Now it says the time will come. Well, this is written a couple thousand years ago. I submit to you the time has come. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They won't stick with solid teaching. That's today. That's today. That time has come. People do not stick with solid teaching. Instead, but after their own lust, they shall heap to themselves teachers. Now let me just focus on the word heap. You see, here's a letter from an old man that has been abandoned by everybody except Luke. Only Luke is with me. And so Paul is here at the end of his life, and he's seen the abandonment of Christians, the love of the world. He saw Demas go in, love the world. He's had other believers do him great damage, great harm, to whom he says, the Lord reward you according to your works. And now to Timothy, he says, there's a time coming when they will heap to themselves teachers. Well, that's what Ahab did here. You see, you can't just have one false teacher. You've got to have heaps of them. You've got to have hundreds of them. Ahab heaped up for A heap is not one. A heap is a big pile. They'll pile up teachers to themselves. They'll pile them up. Have a teacher's union. Pile them all up. And that's exactly what's going on today. That's why I tell you, brother, if you find yourself in the vast majority of clergymen, you're wrong. You're on the wrong side of things. You need to dust off that Bible. Well, maybe you need to be saved first. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then dust off the Bible. Start reading it with some understanding. So here it says there's a day coming. That's now. Heaping up teachers to themselves. Their ears itch. I need you to say this. I need you to say that. We have a ministry to this, a ministry to that. We have ministries based on people's sins. That's going on today. People organize around their sins and have a minister for that purpose to, to discuss those sins after their own lusts. Heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. That is to say, now changing, instead of wanting to know the truth, being men after God's own heart, 
They just want to hear what they want to hear, and they select to themselves a whole pile of teachers. Can't just do it with one. Got to have a major staff full of them. Got to have a whole huge pile of them. And they'll turn away their ears from hearing the truth and will be turned away unto fables. Well, how will they be turned? Well, because God's going to let them have what they want. Ahab wanted to be lied to. Ahab wanted to arrange his own message. He wanted to have good messages. God says, that's fine. You can have it. He asked for volunteers among the wicked spirits. Who will go down and lie to Ahab? I'll bet there was a long line of wicked spirits wanting to lie to Ahab. I'll bet there was a huge long line. But one spirit the Lord sent, and he says, I'll be, I'll be a liar in the mouth of a bunch of liars. And go ahead. And God turned over Ahab to himself and what he wanted. You want somebody to tell you certain good news? You want people to give you the message that you want to hear? Oh, you're in trouble, my friend. Be careful. Turn from that, because God will give that to you, and then you'll be the most miserable person on earth. Well, now the king of Israel, by the way, says to Jehoshaphat, now he's going he's gonna to do what so many people do. He doesn't really believe the word of the Lord, but he's going to hedge his bet, and he changes clothes with Jehoshaphat. He's going to change clothes with Jehoshaphat because this guy is so deceived, he thinks that by deceiving others, he will make the word of God not happen. He's going to heap to himself his own clergyman, and then he's going to do the old switcheroo of clothes with Jehoshaphat so that what? Jehoshaphat gets killed instead of him. Meanwhile, the king of Syria says uh, to his 32 captains that he had replacing those 32 kings who got whooped, he said, don't fight with anybody except the king of Israel. Just go after him. And so the battles engaged, and it came to pass when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, this has got to be the king of Israel, Ahab. And they turned aside to fight against him, and Jehoshaphat cried out. Jehoshaphat started screaming. And it came to pass when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. So Jehoshaphat almost got himself killed hanging around with a guy like Ahab. And if you're hanging around with a guy like Ahab, you get away from him so you don't get yourself his judgment. So God's merciful to Jehoshaphat here, and these guys turn away. And now they don't know where Ahab is, but it tells us a certain man drew a bow at a venture. Here's a guy just decides, I'm going to shoot an arrow into the air. It'll fall to earth I know not where. And he draws a bow at a venture and smote the king of Israel between the joints of his harness fit it right into his coat of mail, right into his armor, in one of the joints. The arrow goes in there, and the king of Israel says, Turn your hand, carry me out, I'm wounded. And so now Ahab is bleeding to death in his chariot. The battle increased that day. The king was stayed up in his chariot against the Syrian and died at evening, and the blood ran out of the wound in the midst of the chariot. Well... What do you think happens then? The king died, and they washed the chariot in the pool of Samaria, verse 38, and the dogs licked up his blood, and they washed his armor according to the word of the Lord which he spoke. So there it was, the dogs licking up his blood. What a disgrace. Guy dies a disgraceful death. Let me tell you something. 
You live a disgraceful life, you'll die a disgraceful death. What a horrible thing. The rest of the acts of Ahab and what he did, all the cities he built, aren't they written in the book Chronicles of the Books of Israel? Here, verse 40. So Ahab slept with his fathers, and his wicked son Ahaziah reigned in his stead. I hope this is a lesson to us. I hope we understand the great dangers of the age in which we live because the word of God is true, and if it happened to Ahab, it'll certainly happen to us. Let's listen to the word of God and not hear what we want to hear. Ask God to deliver us from ourselves. And with that, I'll just leave you with this great hymn, and may God bless you until we look into the scriptures next time and see what happens to the household of Ahab. <laughs> 